I haven't done this for a couple of weeks and I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> I forgot, I've forgotten my spiel. Okay. Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, it's this, yeah, see, I'll start again. Okay, welcome everyone. This is Tokyo Jazz Joints, episode 27. And uh, we're pretty excited about this episode in particular. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background on how this episode came about, you will remember if you listened to the fantastic interview that we had with the guys in Berlin at Rhinoceros Jazz Bar there. Uh, And as we were talking, Benedict happened to mention that he'd heard possibly about a jazz place somewhere in South America. He thought Argentina, and it might have been run by a European man. And that was kind of all he really was able to tell us at the time. And we dug a little bit deeper and we did a little bit of research. uh, And quite quickly, we discovered uh, Black Forest Jazz Bar in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And we're delighted um, to have Yali from Black Forest on the line today. James, uh, before we meet Yali, how are you doing this week? Doing very well, my friend. It's great to hear your voice again after we've had a, a slight little uh, break here at the end of the summer, but I'm so excited that we're heading over to South America. Can you believe it? This Is is this our third continent now? Where we I think found so, a, yeah. A Japanese-inspired uh, jazz jazz joint. I mean, uh, where's next? we got to head to South Africa and Bangkok. Uh, we've got to hit everywhere after this. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. It would be even nicer to actually go rather than just remotely, but for now, this is the world that we're in. So, Yali, uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm very well. Here yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, winter morning in Buenos Aires. Uh, Grey skies, not usual for here. Usually we do have lots of sunshine, but so that's the, we're on the other, let's say, the southern hemisphere here. So then... Uh, uh, winter, winter lockdown, everything like that. <laughs> wow, I'm I'm always so excited that we get a weather update because um, Yali, if, if you've heard a few of our previous episodes, it's a it's a it's a running segment on our show where I update our listeners on the uh, the the weather forecast here in Japan, which has been pretty brutal. But uh, winter sounds pretty nice to me because we're baking in uh, here in Tokyo at the moment. So um, thank thank you for that. Um, I don't I don't necessarily. It's funny when you say that because I think in my head. Buenos Aires is definitely one of the places I really want to go most in the world. And I think actually, um, in my mind's eye, it's just always sunny. So it kind of, it it was slightly jarring there to hear about the grey skies, but it certainly makes me feel slightly less uh, isolated, maybe a little bit more at home because unfortunately in Dublin today, um, it's exactly like that, grey skies and rain. But we don't want to turn this into a weather podcast, so we, sh- we should probably crack on with the business of the day. And um, Yali, um, I think I've deliberately, personally, I think James has been doing a little bit of ferreting around online, but certainly I've done as little uh, research as possible. And that's not an excuse, but uh, one of the reasons for that was really that I just wanted to find out as much about you uh, and Black Forest uh, and this incredible journey that you've clearly had. So... Do you want to start maybe just by telling us um, how you ended up in, in Buenos Aires? Well, that was, uh, yeah, uh, I ended up here working for a Finnish Cultural Institute, uh, actually at the embassy, uh, 
um, with involved with uh, some cultural and arts arts projects. I had like a three year uh, contract, and then uh, it's kind of the place started to feel like home. And I once the contract ended in 2018, uh, so two years ago, uh, I thought, okay, let's. Uh, I don't want to go back. I I want to stay here, and uh, and uh, I had met. Uh, my wonderful partner, Marcela, she's from here. She's a local uh, Argentinian woman who, uh, who, yes, uh, well, I'm going directly to the Black Forest because of uh, the theme that uh, she has um, a wonderful bookstore here. And then, uh, then uh, that's the, that's the context really for, uh, for um, how, how Black Forest came up. Okay, amazing. Uh, I mean, I suppose that mirrors the the experiences of many people like ourselves who similarly went to Japan and and kind of fell in love with the place and decided uh, that we didn't want to leave. I mean, I did three years ago make the sort of difficult decision to move somewhere else uh, and do something different. Um, James, of course, is still there uh, and loves living there. So uh, it's interesting that we do have that parallel uh, in our experience. I probably lied a little bit when I said I hadn't done any research because I did happen to find your website online and it seems like you've had quite a colourful uh, history um, <laughs> and and experience uh, from a very, pretty early age, I think. Do you want to give us maybe two or three highlights of those things? Because I think listeners will be amazed by you, some of the things that you've well, done. Well done with your research. You know, I think you're probably <laughs> the only person who has logged into the website. <laughs> you know? That was me. That was me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I come from, uh, let's say, uh, so my, my first, the first part of my life was uh, dedicated to, to sports and uh, ice hockey specifically. I come from a family of um, ice hockey players. My dad was the captain of the national team. Um, three times in the Olympic Winter Olympics, and um, and me and my brother both ended up playing professionally, and um, and there's a there's a little connection to well, well I would say one of my highlights was that I was able to travel to Japan twice uh, because of uh, hockey, first time in 1977, and then another time in '91. So it's like a, of my five trips to Japan, uh, two of them were. Thanks to uh, five trips spanning over four decades, uh, so uh, so the first two one two were for hockey and the and then uh, so I think that's uh, that's I would say I'd say the highlights, but uh, important part of my life was uh, sports and and that the when I was I quit quite early, well uh, at a young age at that time I was thirty and I had just. Uh, while I was playing, I had studied uh, philosophy and aesthetics at the University of Helsinki. So I had, uh, say, formal qualifications to, to work in other fields than just in the in the sports. And uh, and like one year after retiring from uh, from hockey, uh, I moved to London and stayed there for twenty years. Wow. Okay. And what else? And then, <laughs> so. Uh, I mean, you're being very modest. I feel, <laughs> I feel you're being very modest about this incredible life uh, that you, you've clearly had. But um, what what inspired you then um, to leave London and and move somewhere else? Well, 
I think I get tired of London. I have to say that, and there was a uh, uh, circumstance that uh, my my children, uh, I have two daughters, uh, I have two daughters. Uh, they had grown up, moved you know, on their own. Uh, was a divorce, and uh, so I had like a, I had an, um, let's say um, I was craving a little bit. Okay, just to seeing other parts of the world and not not just. Um, Stuck, uh, getting stuck into into London, and uh, but the opportunity to work in Buenos Aires was uh, was just like something which I had no idea. Then uh, I, I heard about the opportunity, and within two weeks I was on the plane and with just uh, one bag with me, and that's all. And then and stayed. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, I think. Um uh you know to to hear that kind of story that just you know taking your bag and getting on that plane i think a lot of our listeners probably can understand that impulse and i know certainly a lot of people who have either visited japan or ended up living in japan probably have quite similar experiences you know they went out there for a little bit or they were thrilled by the prospect of going out there at all and then you know jumped on the plane and sort of never looked back uh, and i know for me it's brought me uh, a lot of fantastic things not least of course this project over the last five years. You ended up in Buenos Aires, of course, and then I suppose really the, the burning question for anyone listening is going to be, um, how did this jazz place that you're currently running with Marcella, how did it How did it all come about and what was the inspiration for it? Well, uh, yes, uh, it came about uh, that uh, I had been planning something Along these lines, without knowing anything about jazz kisak, that's the, the concept, or or uh, they didn't have that as a reference. But and I had mentioned to a friend of mine in uh, uh, back then in London, and uh, and so just over two years ago, uh, I had a chat with him, and he he said that uh, Yali, uh, I remember you talk about this uh, venue idea about music uh, thing for London, and then. Uh, have you had a look at the Jazz Kissa uh, uh, Instagram account? And said no, uh, and uh, and he said it might be something that you, you'd like, <laughs> could be like up your street. And uh, and then uh, and I showed that to to Marcella, and Marcella said, let's do it. Let's let's uh, we have the space here in the basement of the bookshop, the bookstore, and uh, and it's just much more than a bookshop. It's a beautiful building uh, with three levels and. Um, Roof terraces, outdoor patios, and uh, beautifully designed. People come from far away to to visit and browse books and spend time there. So then, uh, the basement was uh, a little bit like underused. It's it's like a space for book launches and events, like a raw space. And then uh, Marcel said, "Let's let's do it." And I said, okay, why not? And then, uh, so she really gave the opportunity. She put the put the gears into into to action with, uh, and then basically worked on the oh, with uh, with some idea. Without uh, I hadn't visited Jaskis, uh, uh, but I had been to bars in 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 Japan where they well with with excellent audio systems and uh, and vinyl records and I, I had that kind of reference uh, in my mind and uh, and so one thing led to another we uh, Marcella remembered something about the guy who 
repairs vintage audio here in um, in Buenos Aires, and uh, we went to see him uh, just on the outskirts of uh, the the city city center, and uh, and this guy Alejandro Garelli had his house full of gear, you know, like this beautiful beautiful audio gear, and uh, and when we showed him the the, the images of the uh, um, just his uh, Instagram. So he said, "Okay, I'm your man. You know, I know exactly what you what you need here." And uh, so we ended up uh, investing in uh, in the in the setup. Uh, and at the same time, we found out that this Alejandro is, had a great collection of jazz records and is really specifically into jazz. And he became one of the early say selectors for us. I guessed selectors uh, and uh, provided the the content in the, in, in the sense that uh, we didn't we lacked we lacked the the, the records we had <laughs> and the, basically everything in the beginning but uh, but that was the that was the start and then uh, and it was two years ago and uh, and by the end of 2018 we soft launched and see and and invited people to to come along. So what was the kind of I mean what was the reaction of people in Buenos Aires? I mean obviously this kind of place that you're describing I mean first of all this this the sound of this place in the basement of a beautiful bookshop like the one you described that Marcella runs. I mean already I think puts it in the the category of probably the most beautiful of jazz joints, certainly some of the ones that James and I have visited in Japan definitely uh, would not make that uh, make that category. As as you probably know from listening to the podcast yourself, you know that the general aesthetic is is usually quite run down, dusty, dirty, mm. uh, smoke stained, and so on. But I mean, what was the reaction of people in Buenos Aires when they um, came to this place and obviously uh, were faced with you know this this high end audio equipment and jazz and and how does it fit? into the sort of wider picture in Buenos Aires in terms of music culture and music bars? Well, um, we we had and we still have the luxury that's, uh, that we don't have to operate it as uh, as a commercial bar as such. You know, it's, uh, that, uh, that the income comes from uh, a bit kind of pressurized of uh, hiring uh, staff and uh, and that's so it's because it's like an annex to the the bookstore uh we've been able to really take the kind of music angle first and then we okay it's a music space and mm-hmm. we do these sessions like a uh, vinyl or live listening sessions and uh, and we have a bar attached it's almost like the reverse uh, uh, <laughs> the, uh approach to the uh, the the concept and then uh, so we we started doing uh, specifically like two hour early early evening sessions uh, from seven to nine on Thursdays little by little and the word of mouth got got around really fast and then uh, we started getting uh, inquiries we had some press and the but I have to say that every every Thursday was different in uh, in uh, depending on the dynamic of uh, of the crowd, and uh, sometimes it uh, it was really intense intense like uh, listening session uh, with very 
little, uh, let's say, talking or chatting, but then the other other evenings it turned into a, into a more like a bar bar type of environment where bigger group groups came in. So, I mean, what was the difference in those evenings in the way that they turned out? Was it the choice of music or was it just the, the combination of the music and the crowd? Or do you actually, mm. do you set it up in such a way that it is more focused on listening rather than talking? Because obviously... Uh, you know, we chatted with um, Rhinoceros in Berlin and also with Bar Shiru in Oakland and, you know, they kind of explained their experiences and often I think customers are not necessarily used to this idea of, particularly nowadays, of coming into a bar to sit and listen to a record rather than just to have a drink and talk. Well, what happened well, it was that uh, in the beginning it was random. You know, there was no... Uh, we invited friends and people we knew just to you know get started and um, and it was a different uh, when you know people they kind of behave <laughs> behave as you ask them to do but uh, then once we got some press and the media coverage here uh, we got people who, who came to see okay this has to be something trendy and uh, uh, they thought it's a speakeasy you know that kind of uh, thing and uh it wasn't the right crowd, you know, that those evenings turned into more like uh, they came in and maybe they didn't get it or didn't like it and then yeah. they never, never returned. But then we changed, the, uh, we started to like, like when we organized a booking system that you have to, you have to be on the, on the, on the list, guest list to be able to attend and just don't, don't come in, show up uh, if you, uh, and it, it was like we have the capacity of 30 seats, 35 at max. And so we booked, you know, those, those were all, uh, all of the, the, the Thursdays were, were like booked um, two weeks ahead uh, in advance. And you could, I could see, I could get, I, I got to know the people personally and you could tell the profile, okay, that these people come in to, for the music and they, they will listen and they will kind of, there'll be enough of them, the critical mass of those mm. kind of set up the, the mood of the, of the, of the evening. And, and that's, uh, that's, uh, I think, well, now, of course, we had to close, uh, we couldn't open, uh, we haven't been able to open this, uh, this year because of uh, the idea was to re start in in march and just you know the the lockdown kicked in uh and so uh, but if and when we will be able to restart we we, we have like a, let's say a customer base who, who we know and then we have like 500 people on the mailing list and uh, and and when we put out the details of the next event so within a day i think we'll have more or less the, uh, the capacity, you know, the full. So, y- Yali, um, I I think that, you know, for a lot of um, world music fans, um, Buenos Aires is obviously uh, the home of tango, um, but is there, you know, in, have you been able to sort of experience that there's a really underground scene of heavy jazz vinyl collectors the are these the people who are sort of like you mentioned on your mailing list that come regularly to the events is there that subculture of collecting old jazz records uh, in the city uh yes uh 
that's that's the great thing when when you when you start something which uh, people uh, find out about they they uh, they approach you know they approach us and they said okay well I have this and this kind of collection of records and uh, I can, could I also come and uh, you know to be a selector for one of these sessions and uh, amazing and yes yeah we we've had we had the uh, some amazing. Uh, Contacts that we just uh, we made, and um, this guy Emilio also has a huge collection of uh, beautiful pressings of Japanese jazz, specifically, and uh, and uh, the quality of these records, and uh, and he's he's been uh, he wants to come and you know like uh, when, whenever he's selecting uh, the music, uh, he also talks about a little bit like uh, makes an introduction, uh, welcomes the 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 audience, and uh, and kind of explains what he's going to play and what's going to be the theme or the thread for the evening. And uh, absolutely, like totally dedicated uh, to, to to vinyl records and, and, and specifically jazz. I found out that uh, one of the, the restaurants, the owner of my favorite restaurants here and the bars in, in, uh, in Buenos Aires, Julian Diaz and he came up uh, to me and said, Could, "Would you like to come and visit his home?" Then he would like to show his um, collection of Blue Note <laughs> records. And uh, wow. so then I said, "Okay, excellent. Would you like yeah. to come? Uh, you know, the, play them on on, uh, on Black Forest." And yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, so it's, it's uh, the examples we had. Uh, this young woman called Barbarelle, Barbarelle, and. Uh, it's uh, totally different, let's say, generation and and, and the crowd. Have, she collects spiritual jazz, you know, the kind of like a beautiful collection of uh, records and and plays. Well, not only jazz, but but uh, but in 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 the context of uh, Black Forest, she she's been uh, she's been one of the regular guest selectors, and um, so there's uh, there's a scene, and then. Uh, I'd also like to mention that we've done this live, live session, improvised live uh, sessions uh, organized by a local musician, a cello player, Claudio Pena. And well, he knows all the musicians you need to know here. And so he, he had this program of Monday, Monday evenings once a month that uh, he would invite another musician, specifically a jazz musician to improvise with him without no rehearsal, pre-rehearsals. And, uh, and some of those evenings were magical. Like the, this kind of the uh, uh, spontaneous uh, like a, like applause uh, and uh, like excitement from the, from the people who attended. And um, so that was, uh, that was some, uh, something during the first year, something which kind of build our profile uh, and uh, and that those were very successful uh, those live live sessions that's fantastic i mean it's really nice to hear because i think it does very much mirror the japanese jazz kisa culture in that uh it 
most places have a very um, firm base of, of regulars that support uh, the business, in some cases over decades. And also, you know, we have come across, I think we mentioned it in one of our Yokohama episodes about Marshmallow, where they have these listening parties that actually people bring down their own record collections um, or, or, or samples from their own collections and play them and, and listen to them with each other. Um, so it's really cool to hear that that's going on. I should also probably just mention at this point, in case I get trolled on social media, that uh, I'm not dominating the microphone, uh, but in actual fact, James had a few technical issues where he had to drop out uh, for a few minutes. That's why he was so quiet. I know if you're used to listening to the podcast, you're not accustomed to hearing James being quiet for very long. So um, (laughs) I I should just explain uh, that's why he went so quiet. But welcome back, James. We're glad to have you again. Uh, And it's lovely to hear your dulcet tones. Oh, Um, wonderful. Uh, Yali, I just wanted to ask, I mean, just to go back a little bit, you mentioned about um, obviously having had this idea to to open a place in Buenos Aires. And I was just curious, you know, what was it about um, the the jazz quise in particular that appealed to you uh, and you felt was a really good fit um, for Black Forest? Because again, just to refer back to Rhinoceros in Berlin, I know that Benedict and Martina themselves hadn't actually been to Japan when they uh, opened up the bar in Berlin and they did use some photographs, I know, from the project as kind of visual inspiration. So what was it that sort of struck a chord with you about the jazz Kisa culture in particular? I think if I start with the jazz part of it, so uh, I had like back in the 1980s uh, and uh, I was quite a big follower of the 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 jazz sort of, uh, let's say, dance floor scene in London, what was going on, the, mm-hmm. the, the kind of revival of, uh, of uh, let's say, many many ways to say that the or rediscovery of, uh, of uh, by a younger generation um, and I was 20 21 years old and whenever I had a chance to from my hockey duties uh, to travel I would go for a long weekend uh, in, in London and, and visit all these places uh, at that time uh, and then uh, and that had like an impact like listening jazz being played loud you know? and, and that was something I always like it it has to kind of like uh, something that hits your guts really like and uh, and that was just like a little bit nostalgic of that that time and then uh, but so I was no longer into the kind of dance floor DJ uh, mood and uh, and still thought about the idea that's okay if you have a beautiful audio system you put something which would in another context be considered as almost like a background music, something like a Bill Evans on piano. And, uh, and you turn that, crank that almost like uncomfortably loud, in, but in, in, uh, in the sort of uh, right context. So, so that was my inspiration. I hadn't been to, to, to this place in Japan, but so I had some sort of like idea of like a, a audible, idea and and the visuals came as a combination of uh, we we uh, we did have a look at the the pictures and uh, but uh, we also picked up things that we had sort of uh, naturally available here i yeah. had, uh, and then and it was not like a copying but just a creating something of uh, which uh, is not a replica but uh, but uh, referencing something which we are 
imagining and then uh, but also that has something it's, it's quite unique and uh, a creation of our our own I think that's the beautiful thing about you know discovering places like Black Forest and and other places that we we featured and will feature in the future hopefully on the podcast is that you know it's not about replicating it and I think one of the things for us certainly about Japanese jazz joints is that they really are unique and I think they can't really be replicated and in some cases you know that might be the the the, the aesthetic that you see might be the result of 40 years of cigarette smoke for example so <laughs> it's actually really nice to see how people are taking it as you said as a reference point and then using you know the, their own uh, cultural context and other things that are available to kind of create something that's very much like a, a reference and a, an homage to Japanese jazz joints, but also something that's kind of new and vibrant and, and relevant in their own context. And it's fabulous to hear um, that story. Yali, so I, I know I you may have discussed this when I had a bit of, uh, when, when I had to reload here, but um, I know that you, you um, grew up in Finland. I have a, uh, a good Finnish friend who's a saxophone player, jazz saxophone player, who comes to Japan quite often. Um, was, was jazz something that was on your radar uh, when, when you were growing up, or was it, was it something that you got to a bit later after your hockey career? Uh, I got into it on... Uh well, I was about 20, 21 years old, that, uh, like with the following the, what was happening in London uh, with the clubs that time. And then uh, and I started buying uh, uh, jazz records, but uh, uh, unfortunately I sold, <laughs> sold all of them. But uh, to a friend of mine who lives in Berlin, I think he has the entire collection still intact there, so he hasn't sold them uh, Further on, so uh, so, uh, but that was like I, I by no means I'm not an uh, uh, expert, not a connoisseur, but uh, but I I did have that one 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 point of uh, let's say during my formative years, uh, I was quite into into the the thing, the jazz thing. Because we know that you know uh, having here in Japan uh, there are before COVID-19 hit unfortunately but um, every year we would get dozens and dozens of Scandinavian jazz musicians from from Finland from Norway Sweden Denmark um, who would come to play here and they would always say that you know um, they they had a great affinity for Japan because they knew that Japan was jazz loving country uh just like you know where they had come from so i always found it really interesting to think that you know with such a small population you still had access to live music in finland and 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 the record stores um how have you felt though like in in argentina i mean do you think that you know you have your regular circle of customers but but do the other customers who come into the bar just for drink do they understand like what the purpose of this sort of jazz space is well uh, yeah i think that's something we uh Probably you were offline yeah. at that, that. Oh, you covered point. that. Okay, uh, <laughs> we kind of covered that. Yeah, yeah. Right. we talked a bit about yeah, listening yeah. sessions. Okay, and good. Like that. Yeah, edit that part um, out then too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, it's just really interesting for me. I mean, not directly related to the project, but just to hear you talk about the dance floor jazz movement, because obviously um, a good friend of mine, Lincoln, uh, in Japan, was himself involved in that scene. And I'm sure at some point, probably your paths have crossed and, and we probably know mutual people. And certainly from a photographic point of view, I did spend quite a few years photographing the jazz dancers 
in Tokyo because actually that UK style of jazz dance very much took root in Tokyo and Japan. Um, and there's still mm -hmm. a very thriving scene there. And I'm pretty sure probably even in London, there's not as much going on uh, in terms of that scene as there still is in Tokyo. And, and even with people like Stax Groove, who've uh, kind of kept it going from Sound Cream Steppers and then into much newer groups like Broken Sport and so on. Uh, and it's still very mm -hmm. much thriving there. So it's really interesting to hear that that connection with that scene is in the mix as well. Um, how do you see sort of the future of Black Forest over the next two or three years? I mean, what are your plans for the for the bar? One thing for sure, we want to we want to continue with this more let's say private approach that we know the uh, that, uh, that it, it will not turn into a, let's say bar or something like a rowdy place so people should like to come in and they they never return that they we we want to build the uh, the loyal customer base and. Uh, and the uh, and keep it in our control that we do whenever if we do if we feel like doing it we do it and if we don't we don't yeah. so it's also that's uh, that's I think the the uncertainty now how things will uh, develop and uh, so we need to be flexible in that sense that's uh, that's uh, it, it doesn't look good at the moment because it's, we're here in the uh, it's the longest uh, longest lockdown in the world probably uh, 160 days wow. and there's no end to it uh, in the horizons uh, on the horizon so so it's all uh, we you know we keep uh, we keep thinking planning uh, but at uh, same time maintaining and keeping it flexible that's a very jazz approach i would say in general. <laughs> um, I suppose I just wanted to ask, um, obviously, you know, have you, what once the uncertainty does clear and uh, with the situation that we're all in around the world, you know, do you have any plans uh, to visit Japan and um, how do you think you might look at, at Japan and jazz bars in particular differently when you go back this time? Yes, that's definitely in the plans, and we were already planning to planning a trip for this year. So, and uh, uh, but uh, yes, we will we will we will travel to Japan and uh, and probably spending time in uh, in Europe as well once um, once it's possible um, uh, in Berlin visiting uh, Benedict and oh, the yes. rhinoceros oh, yes. uh, for for the, uh, for sure. Yeah, we will. Uh, we will travel. We will travel. That's for sure. It's. Uh, it's been. Uh, let's see. That's the first. One of the first things on the agenda. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now for sure. And you haven't actually invited us, but we will still be coming to Buenos Aires anyway. I'm sure you were just about to. But uh, if you if you if you see us arriving on your doorstep, me with my camera and James with his famous bag, um, we'll be there to to check out Black Forest. Um, but I promise, Excellent. I promise, we'll find somewhere else to stay, so we'll not, we'll not disturb you too much. But <laughs> it's really a dream place of mine to visit. Ever since I heard uh, about the tango clubs, uh, I've always wanted to go, and so it's definitely on my radar. So fingers crossed. Fantastic! I highly recommend Buenos Aires. It's a, this is a lovely place. Well, listen, thanks so much for, for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Uh, it's been great that we can set up uh, this on three different continents and. Uh, 
maximum respect to the technology that's now available that enables us to do this. So thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, on this episode 27 of Tokyo Jazz Joint's podcast. Uh, for all of those uh, of you who are listening, uh, please do check out the website. Of course, you know it by now. It's www.tokyojazzjoints.com. Um, you can check us on social media, Twitter and Facebook. Facebook and Instagram, all at Tokyo Jazz Joints. Uh, big thanks to Brian for his help with the audio assistance and, of course, Louis Elastic for our theme music. Uh, and as soon as you've finished listening to this podcast, we'd recommend you also get onto Instagram and Facebook and you check out Black Forest. I think on Instagram you're Black for, at blackforest.buenasaires. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Perfect. Yeah. James, it's probably up to you to just uh, give us a quick update on the weather before we say goodbye. Hot, humid, sweaty, but I've got an absolutely fantastically cold Dunkelweiss beer from Germany that I'm still diving into. So uh, the evening looks very promising. I've got a couple new records as well. Just picked up a, a live Woody Shaw album. So I'm going to have my own home version of a jazz quesita tonight as soon as we finish recording. Okay. Until next week. <laughs> Thanks take a it lot, easy. Yali. It was good to talk with you, man. Right. Cheers. Thank Yali. you, guys. Take All care. The best. Bye bye. bye. James, you still with us?